The weather is finally getting warmer, so it's time to say goodbye to jackets and sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I wanted to update my wardrobe for the long haul without spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince. Now I've got a lineup of timeless pieces that keep me looking effortlessly chic year after year, like premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost like the middleman that passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. I am so excited. I have two gorgeous, lightweight cashmere sweaters coming my way. One camel, one heather gray. I cannot wait to wear them in the warmer months when it's chilly in LA. Throwing them over my shoulders. Going to look so cute. Can't wait. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash judging Megan for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash judging Megan to get free shipping and 365 day returns quince.com slash judging Megan. And now back to the podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. I like to start with my stories. Today is not necessarily a a story. It's more of a topic. Um, My topic is when you have to encounter somebody that you do not necessarily like or are fond of, what is the proper protocol on how to deal with that? My problem is I wear my heart on my sleeve and I'm not phony. I'm the least phony person on the planet. So if I don't like you, you'll you'll know right away. And it take and I don't not like people for any reason other than they did something. They I felt like they burned me or they did burn me or whatever it is or they're not nice. What is your thoughts on if you encounter somebody that you are not a fan of? How do you deal with that? I'm sorry I'm putting you on the spot, but I have to, Mark. Well, thanks, Megan, and thanks for having me. Let's just jump in, I guess. Um, the first thing that, that popped into into my mind was um, a term that I have used repeatedly throughout my life um, called healthy detachment. And sometimes Ooh. when you find yourself in that situation um, where for whatever reason you're like, oh, I'm not really liking this situation. I'm not liking this person. I'm not liking what they said. It's like that phrase will pop into my head. It's time to detach healthily. And that becomes a skill. I mean, it's something that I've practiced over the years and it's easy, easier for me now than it used to be where I can detach very easily. And sometimes that's just turning and walking away. 
you know, quietly without so saying do anything. You, do you not say hi? Because that's my, that's my question. So if you've listened okay. to like my, my episodes, I encountered, mm-hmm. a, a, I encountered a group of women. I'm no longer friends with them. I don't like them. It doesn't mean they still have space in my mind. I'm over right. it, whatever, but I'm not phony. And if they say hi to me, it's like, hi, I don't want to say hi back. I'd rather just not say anything and not give them any space or, you know, like try to mess with me. Does that yeah. make sense? So are you saying you just don't say anything and you walk away? Sometimes, yeah, I don't say anything. I may give them kind of the the, the little smile and just kind of a nod uh-huh. of the head. And uh-huh. a lot of times, just from a guy's perspective, that can put up a wall. It can immediately put up mm-hmm. a wall that, okay, I'm not having this conversation or I'm not going to go there. And 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 a lot of it's body language too. It's like turning suddenly turning away from them, you know, after you kind of smile and nod without saying anything. It's like it's shutting it down. And like I said, it's 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 a skill um, without being mean, without being rude, without being, you know, over the top or anything like that. But it's it's disengaging, and sometimes you have to learn how to disengage. Um, throughout my 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 career, you know, <laughs> my professional career. I've had to disengage from conversations. I've had to learn how to disengage from, it's like, I don't have time for this conversation or this is not a conversation that we're going to continue to have because we keep going around the same. So you have to learn how to disengage and that's detaching to protect yourself. I, okay. So I love that you're saying that. So what you're telling me is that I shouldn't be giving people the middle finger. That's my biggest question (laughs) for you. Uh, uh, Yes. I would say (laughs) yes. Yes. Bottom line. Yes. Yes. Okay. Knowing okay. that I'm joking. By to, I know you are. I know you are. Knowing yeah. at times it's easier yeah, yeah, yeah. said than done. Shove your hands in your pockets really quickly. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I'm like, I'm legitimately, this is something I'm working on. And I'm very um, transparent with my audience. And I think like, I just like have decided in my own life to move forward. I would just rather take myself out of situations that are going to like trigger me or make me uncomfortable or make me sad or make me angry. Cause at the root of anger is love is, you know, abandoned. I mean, I have major abandonment issues, all the things that I'm trying to work past in therapy, but I love what you said. And I I'm not going to give people the middle finger. I have not done that in quite a while. I'm very proud of myself. And I love a man's perspective on this. I think it's super important. And I am going to start the show. Well, hello, everyone. You are listening to Judging Megan with your host, Megan Judge. I first want to start out the show and just like say thank you. Say thank you to my listeners that have taken the time to leave me reviews. I'm going to read a few of them. Um, I hope my guest isn't rolling his eyes. I hope his eyes are not in the back of his head right now. But I just, if you're going to take the time to leave me a review on Apple or wherever it be, I just want to say thank you. So I'm going to start with Colette. She said, I love Megan. She's such an incredible woman who is an inspiration to others. Well, Colette, I tend to agree with you. I'm just joking. Thank you, Colette. (laughs) It's so nice of you. And I appreciate the review. Um, Teresa Johnson. First of all, I would like to thank Megan for sharing these, these episodes with us so smoothly. She seeks out those who have made who have made their lonely lives more beautiful through struggles. The stories in each episode not only inspire us but also teach us. Hope me like others will enjoy your episodes. Best wishes for you. I am waiting for the next one. Those are just a few. If you all 
don't mind taking the time to leave me a review as long as it's a good one. Not like I can't stand Megan and her annoying voice. Don't, don't stay away from Apple. But if you are going to take the time to leave me a review, you're a listener, you listen every week. I truly, truly appreciate this. It also, it also helps other people find me because I come up in the searches better. And it's just, I really, truly appreciate it. I know it takes a minute to do, and I appreciate that time that you take. I'm going to start the show and I am going to introduce Mark Shutter. Mark is the author of Cowboys Are Not Supposed to Cry, which by the way, Mark, that's the best title of a book I've ever heard. Thank you. It's amazing. And I am so happy to have you on. I enjoyed our little our little chatting in the beginning of the episode, and I can already tell that I'm going to love talking to you today. So thanks for coming on. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to this too. Well, let's start out. I want to hear, I read your bio and I read a little bit about your book and I am, I hate to say obsessed, but I am obsessed because my whole um, purpose that I do the do this podcast is to help others that are either going through loss, pain, um, trauma, grieving. Um, men- I'm all about mental health, and I know you are too. And I would like you. I would like to thank you for kind of being. A lot of times, men have a really hard time talking about this stuff. And to go write a book and do all the things that you're doing is so, so needed in this world. So I just want to start out by saying that. Thank you. I appreciate that. I really do. Um, It's interesting. So so go ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. (laughs) We'll just talk over each other. (laughs) Just like what you said, men have a hard time with this. It took me 25 years to get to the point where I could actually tell my story and actually have a conversation about this. So. So totally right, spot on. Well, I don't, I mean, there's this like stigma behind it. There's so much behind it. I mean, just being married to my husband for, I mean, we've been together a long time. We've been together over 21 years or going into 21 years. And I know my conversations with him are like, how are you today? Good. But yet I'll be like, this is what happened to me this morning and I will tell my entire day. And so I know it's difficult for men just in general to talk about their feelings, but Mm -hmm. don't even get me started on what it must be like to express your emotions when you've gone through some kind of loss. Right. Yeah. There's, there's, there's an element of uh, one expressing your emotions over the loss or even acknowledging that the loss hurt. And I think many even struggle with that. It's like, I don't want to admit that that actually hurt. And that's like, why shouldn't it hurt? It was traumatic. It yeah. was painful. It was, you lost somebody you loved, you suffered, you endured some type of hardship. It hurt. There's no, there's no failing in that. And like I said, it's taken me a long time to get to that point in my own mental health journey to get to that point where like, hey, that's okay. That doesn't make me weaker because I can admit that that hurt back then and still hurts to this day. Yeah. I say that, I say this often, um, that grieving, and I know we're going to get into your loss, um, is a lifelong process. Yes. So it's not, I think a lot of people, yeah, it's not like you're experiencing the pain every day, but there could be like a movie or a song or like something that triggers you that you have to carry that pain of like not having that human being on this planet for the rest of your life. So it's a lifelong process. Absolutely. Um, 
I wanted to just ask you, let's get your backstory. Where, where are you from and um, where'd you grow up? Okay. Um, I am from the Pacific Northwest. I grew up in Southwestern Idaho, um, currently live in um, Southwestern Washington state. So um, lived my entire life in the Pacific Northwest. Everyone in the Pacific Northwest is nice. I don't oh. know what it is. I've you never so? met. I don't know. I just always have had good experiences with people that live in like specifically those two states. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think, I mean, you're also talking to somebody that's lived in LA for over oh, 20 okay. years. So well, I go. think it's a little, yeah. Um, and, and your childhood was, was that, did you have a happy childhood? A happy childhood. Um, I categorize it as I, I use the word normal, which I don't know if anything's normal anymore, but kind of the, the yeah. typical middle-class upbringing, you know, um, I was the oldest of three kids and my dad worked, you know, eight to five for, for many years. And we went camping on the weekends and, you know, I grew up hunting and fishing and, you know, kind of living out in the country and pretty, pretty typical went to, you know, same, same middle school, high school and college all in the same town. So. So small town had a, had a fairly happy childhood. Um, like love the outdoors Right. Hence, probably why your title of your book Probably. is the title of your book. Yes. Um, and then you ended up um, getting married mm-hmm. in the early 90s. And then that's when you first encountered your first and horrible yeah. loss yeah. that I'm very sorry to hear about. So can you tell me about that? Yeah, I, I met my first wife actually in the in the late 80s when we were both going to Boise State University um, in, in college and met, fell in love, you know, dated, fell in love and, and got married in late, I think, 87 was when we got married. Um, first couple of years were great. We ended up moving to Bellingham, Washington, north, you know, just 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 south of the Canadian border. And mm-hmm. um, through that, after we were there for about six months, she started feeling some pain in, in one of her breasts and went to the doctor. Doctor referred her to a specialist who then did a biopsy. And lo and behold, you know, she was 24 at the time, 25 at the time. It was breast cancer. And just like, what the, you know, we're both in our mid-20s. Like, well, this is not supposed to happen, you know. Um, went through a, a radical ultramastectomy because um, that's basically what they did back then. It's like they just rushed you into surgery and... Um, took the one breast, took a bunch of lymph nodes and went through chemotherapy after that for a few months. And um, things transpired. We were alone by ourselves in Bellingham, just the two of us. Um, I was able to actually transfer with my work back to Boise, where we were both from, Boise, Idaho. So we transferred back. Um, she went into, I guess, for lack of a better word, remission for about a year. All the, all the, the, Everything was negative around the tumor, everything, all the tissue they'd taken out was negative. Blood work looked good. So we had a great summer. We had a great summer in 1992. One of the best summers, you know, um, I've had in my life. I was racing mountain bikes at the time. We were traveling all over southwestern Washington, or sorry, southwestern Idaho, Oregon, camping every weekend, you know, just kind of traveling, doing the thing with the dogs. It was just the two of us. And then that fall of 92, um, she felt a lump in her other, in her remaining breast. Went to the doctor again, said this, I got to send you to a specialist and just like a whirlwind of tests in that first week and a half. And boom, you know, they found a lump in her lung and it was like, we were thrust right back into the nightmare again. So, um, that was October of 92. I'm sorry. 
Yeah. Go no, go ahead. Go ahead. That was Sorry. October of ninety-two. I and I distinctly remember us asking. She was very forthright. She was like, I want to know what's going on. And so I remember her asking the doctor, so what's the prognosis? And his his comment was, and I'm paraphrasing, um, I've seen this before. It's serious. It's very serious. He goes, I've seen women come back from this. He goes, I believe in miracles. I think it can happen. But honestly, five years is probably the prognosis. We walked out going, okay, we got five years. We're going to beat this thing. We're going to go there. She lasted five and a half months. She was dead the next April. So it just went downhill from there really, really quickly. The cancer spread and it was, yeah, everything was focused on, you know, taking care of her for those five and a half months. So. I am so sorry. Um, I know what that's like. Mm -hmm. I lost my own father to cancer, different leukemia, different kind, but very quickly. Yeah. Um, I can't imagine being that age, being a newlywed, you know, you're, yeah. you had, you were fortunate, had a very, sounds like healthy childhood, mm-hmm. didn't, hadn't dealt with loss. No. You know, in our minds, we believe, I think people are like, well, this, this can't happen. Right. You exactly. have that, like you're a young newlywed. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, especially back, you know, 20 plus years ago, when you get breast cancer that young, it's, it's a lot more dangerous than to get it later in life. Exactly. Yeah. So tell me, tell me what that was like the five and a half months of, were you in denial? Were you, are you spiritual? Were you spiritual at that time? Tell me what that was like for you. Yeah. Um, my wife, Luca, um, she actually grew up as a, as a missionary's kid, you know, in the, in the Christian faith. Her parents were missionaries in the Philippines. So she grew up most of her, you know, formative years in the Philippines, going to a boarding school, uh, you know, a Christian boarding school in the Philippines. But so very different perspective on life um, from that perspective, but very strong in her faith. Um, she taught me a lot about my faith. We grew together in our faith and we believed not only that God was going to heal her, but that there was a better place after this life, you know, there's heaven and there's, it's going to be okay. Um, I look back now and I think, you know, whatever that meant at the time, it was, it was a beacon. It was a, a life raft, if you will. But, and, and we focused on that, but so much of the time when I think back was focused on some of the mundane things of taking care of her as she got sicker and sicker. And um, towards the end, she could barely walk because they, they discovered another lump in her hip, you know, up against her hip. She had a lump in the, 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 on her spine right below her, um, in her neck. So she had a hard time moving her head and just all those little things that we take for granted some days, just getting out of bed was a chore. And I think what you mentioned, it's like, she was 25, 26 years old. She was going on her 26th birthday. And it's like, this shouldn't be happening to somebody so young. I mean, all those questions in my mind, it's like, this is not, you know, and, and forgive me for saying this. And I apologize for saying this, but you know, I, I screamed at God going, this is an old lady's disease. This is not a young person's disease. Why does she have this? You know, trying to figure that out. Don't, and I know don't that, ever, <laughs> don't ever apologize for that. You know, I think like but, everybody that would go, that goes through, there's, there's like a why and there's yeah. anger. And if you don't have anger, then, that's wouldn't something, be something else is wrong there. Yeah. Yeah. So, like that wouldn't be okay. Yeah. How, what, how did she, how was she able to, to deal with knowing at 25 years of age or 26, she was 25 when she passed. She was 26 when she passed. She would, yeah, she 26. was a month from her 27th birthday. 
So all of your like hopes and dreams, maybe of having a family Mm -hmm. and like all of those things for a woman in particular, like a young woman, was she angry? I'll be honest with you. I don't know. And that's one of the regrets I have when I was writing the book and going back to my journals and stuff. I think there were a lot of conversations because we were naive. We didn't, I think we knew it was serious, but it's like, how serious is this? Oh, you're not going to die. You're 26 years old. You're not going to die. You know, on and on. Um, Having not dealt with anything like that. I think both of us were in denial. So I don't know. And there's a, there's a chapter in my book about that, about things that I didn't say and probably things that she didn't say to me that we didn't have, we didn't have conversations about what if you die, what's going to happen after you die. What do you want me to do after you die? We didn't have those conversations. We didn't even go, we didn't allow ourselves to go there. And I don't know why I think denial fear. It's, it's a protective, me- it's a pro- mm-hmm. protective mechanism, right? Um, right? I think that, you know, when I lost my father, I we knew he had gone through three rounds of chemotherapy wow. and yeah. that he fought his butt off to, to beat the disease. And then we knew he was like, I'm done. I'm done. I can't do it again. Yeah, It's my time. And I remember until the very last night before even having like my sister take me to the park and explain to me that he was going to die. I didn't mm-hmm. believe it. Right. And I think for my, like, I mean, I was younger than obviously my twenties, but I think in my brain, that was my way of just being able to like deal day to day with knowing that yeah. he might not be here. Right. Yeah. So it yeah. sounds similar to you and it's not something well, that you can really like blame yourself about because your your brain isn't even fully developed until you're 25 years old, by right. the way. So <laughs> exactly. exactly, you know what I'm well, saying. It, and and the thing and the, the kind of a, a weird nuance here is I, I I watch now and with social media and if somebody gets sick, it's all over social media. Family and friends are coming out of the work. This is 1993. There was no social media, and it's like we would come home from the doctor's house. And you didn't post, oh, I just went had my chemotherapy treatment on Facebook. So everybody said, oh, how are you doing? It's like, no, you came home from the house and it was quiet and you were just the two of you. And it was alone. And, you know, some people checked in. Don't get me wrong. So people would check in family and friends and stuff. But it was like, it's a very, it was a very different time. And I'm realizing that now as I, as I watch kind of from an outsider's perspective going, wow, my experience is very different than people kind of going through this. Not that everybody puts everything out there on social media, but there is a, a, a resource or an avenue out there to find support within a broader community than there was in 1993, uh, especially for men. Um, well, that's one good thing. One good yeah. thing about social media. Yes, right? exactly. yeah, that's what I was going like, to say. So yeah. Is, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. One good thing about it. So so, um, so tell me like what, so she, she passed at 26. Uh-huh. What, what was, what happened next? Like, how did you, did you shut down? Were you angry? You went through all the stages of grief where you, you oh. ended not like, tell me what happened. Yeah. Um, yeah, I completely shut down. Um, I did not. And, and you're kind of going back to the title of my book, you know, cowboys are not supposed to cry. Um, I did not cry when she died. I was there in the hospital holding her hand when she, when she, when she died, um, walked away. I think the first time I allowed myself to cry was Saturday. That was, this was, this was kind of going back a little bit. She died on Good Friday too, which was kind of apropos. She died on Good Friday. Um, Saturday night is what I recall in the shower was the first time I actually cried 
after she had died. So it was like a good 24 hours after she had died when I actually kind of broke down and cried. Did not cry again for like another week after through the funeral because it was so much. I shut down and it's like, you've got to take care of all these details, you know? And again, going back to my book, yeah. there's a chapter in my book about death is only the beginning. The death is only the beginning because then now there's all this other stuff and all these expectations and you got to have a funeral and you got to pick out a casket and you got to get them dressed up for the funeral. I'm like, I've never done this before. You know, and granted, last you're 26, all, you're 26 years old uh, too. Like who well, would, I, I remember, I remember going yeah. to the funeral home, you know, and they said, well, did you bring her makeup, you know, so we can make her up? I'm like, you're going to make her up. What, what are you talking about? Well, you know, for the viewing, because there's a viewing. And so people can come and pay their respects. I'm like, I didn't know that. So I had to rush back home and get makeup. And like, I don't know what lipstick she wants. She's dead. <laughs> and I was like, so yeah. it's very surreal. And the interesting thing is we were both art majors at Boise State. So both of us had taken art classes, painting, drawing. And now like, now they're going to put makeup and dress her up like some kind of art project and lay there so everybody can file by and, and look at her, both at the viewing and at the funeral, which was all just very surreal for me. Very surreal. So yes, I shut down in a word, shut down, boom. Cowboys are not supposed to cry. There's things that need taken care of. I'm going to take care of them and, and, and move forward. And when I need to cry, I'll go cry by myself. How, how so did you have like friends and family that were with you at that time? Did you have a support system? What was that like for you? I, I, I did. And that's the interesting thing is when I think back, I remember family and some specific friends that were surrounding me at that time. But I don't remember conversations. I don't remember what was said. I don't remember what they did. But I know they were there. It's like I have just like shut all that down. And I've tried to go back there and go, what was that like? It's like, I know they were there, but I don't remember. And I, ma I made one comment that, you know, I was having to make all these decisions about the funeral, about this, about that, because her parents were actually out of town and they flew in, you know, um, when she died. I was making all these decisions, but at the same time, I don't think I would have let anybody else make those decisions for me. It's like, no, I'm making these decisions sort of thing. So it's that weird kind of juxtaposition of, Nobody's helping me make these decisions, but you're not going, I'm not going to let you help me make these decisions. <laughs> so, cause I was going back and it's, forth. It sounds like, it sounds like to me too, like that's such a huge responsibility for such a young man, you know, I, I like, I can't even imagine people don't think about those things. It's true. Right. And, and having to put yourself like, especially for men, you know, you see them, on TV or movies or social media or whatever it is. And it's like, they have to be so strong. Yes. And, and it's, and it's not really fair, mm -hmm. you know, in general for men to have to be strong when we're all human beings. And that's why I think, you know, we'll talk about your book a little bit, but just the depression rate and the suicide mm -hmm. rates in men is so much higher because they don't, they, they have this like thing in them where it's like, I, we need to, I need to do this. I'm the man. Mm -hmm. I need to take care of everything. I need to plan the funeral. I need. Yep. So, and right. Continue taking care of the house. Oh, the lawn needs bowed because the lawn keeps growing. You know, I had to go home and the dog and the cats needed fed. And there were things that had to be done, which is normal. Life goes on and there is life after. And, um, but in the midst of that, like you said, it's just like shut everything else down because I've got to focus on these things. So I don't want to deal with those things. And what you commented on about the media and entertainment, I've done a little bit of 
research on my own about that. And it's interesting that a lot of times, like you said, men are portrayed in one of two ways when they're dealing with, with grief. Either they shut down completely emotionally and then they become addicted to whatever, you know, I start drinking or whatever, mm-hmm. or they're portrayed as they, 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 they have an initial emotional reaction where they cry, they scream and holler, and then they go on a murderous rampage to get revenge with no consequences. And that's how the movies kind of portray it. I'm going to go kill everybody that had something to do with her death, whether they were responsible for it or not. And that's not realistic either. So where do you find that middle balance? But, but, it, and there, there are, there are, um, examples of men not in in movies and things like that not behaving that way but that seems to be a lot of the way men are portrayed in movies in tv shows in the media you know either shut down or you go crazy sort of if you will yeah it's really a strange thing i don't know if you've seen the show afterlife with ricky gervais no i've heard about it i never actually watched it I've heard really Okay, good it might it. be triggering for you because mm-hmm. it's it's about a man that loses his wife and they mm-hmm. were very very much so in love and it's kind of like his grieving process. And and interestingly enough, I was watching it last night with my husband. Oh. And I and I I love it because it, I think it's a realistic portrayal. Uh-huh. And um, I, of course, started crying and then went upstairs because I just I think it's very well done. But it, you're right. In the media, everything's usually like the man is strong, revenge, mm-hmm. all of those things. Yeah. Tell me. Tell me about tell me about your wife. I just want to know, like, what was she like? It's 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 hard to, to sum up a life, as you know, in, in, in a few sentences, yeah. a few words, she was, um, she was unique in a lot of ways. Um, very eclectic, um, very down to earth. Um, beautiful, loved animals, loved plants, loved people. Um, had a heart that was just amazing. One, one Christmas we did, um, green, like centerpieces that we sold. She gave most of them away. We didn't sell them. She ended up giving them away <laughs> because that was her heart was I want to give to people. Um, there's one instance that I remember where she was actually um, they did a, kind of a a a, a um, undercover thing at a convenience store where the convenience store clerk purposely gave people too much change back. And it was like a news expose. She got filmed um, on that because 90 percent of the people took the extra change and just walked out you know, an extra $20 bill, extra $10 bill. They just took the change and walked out. She turned around and said, oh, you gave me too much change. So they, and they caught all that on camera. And then they interviewed her afterwards going, why did you give the change back? She said, because that's what you're supposed to do, you know? So just so she was always thinking of other people. Um, and I know there's a, 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 she told people that she was worried about me and what would happen to me if she died. She didn't tell me that, you know, we didn't have those conversations, but I know in a roundabout way, she was worried about me. She was always worried about other people. And I think about that, even when she was sick, she was worried about other people, even in the midst of her own, what she was dealing with. And that may have been her way of dealing with it too. Do you believe in, like, we talked about being spiritual, Mm -hmm. like, what are your thoughts on passing and, and like, maybe, I mean, I know that in my own life, I believe that I believe in God. I Mm -hmm. believe that there's an afterlife and heaven. I I don't know what heaven exactly looks like, but I, my, I'm determined to see my loved ones that I've lost 
How do you feel about that? It's uh, given that a lot of thought over the years, because like I said, it's been almost 30 years mm-hmm. now since she passed, um, getting closing in on 30 years. Yes, I absolutely believe um, in heaven. Absolutely believe there's a life after. Um, I, I believe I believe there's an afterlife, you know, where, where we go after we die. And then there's a life after here that we have to continue living life after something happens, a trauma. But back to that, um, I've done a lot of studies on like near death experiences and things like that when when she first passed, even even consulting. Because, I mean, there were months those first that first year where I screamed. It's like, I just want to know that you're OK. Just one yeah. comment. But but she has never appeared to me at the foot of my bed. She's never come down and said, hey, I'm okay. And the interesting thing is, though, I take that as confirmation that she is okay. Because she's where she needs to be. And there's no reason for her to come back here. There's no reason for her to leave where she's at to come tell me that she's okay. Because she is okay. And I know that sounds kind of strange, but that's my faith. And I don't need to go searching for her because I do believe I'm going to see her again. Um, she's somewhere that I can't find her, but I do believe that she'll find me when I pass, if that makes sense. Um, and I, I know there's a- No, a, I believe in that. You know, yeah. there's, there's those reunions on some G- far distant shore or something. I don't really necessarily, I don't know what heaven's like. I don't know what it's going to be like, but it's going to be amazing. And, and, and I hold on to that. You know, my life here now is good. My life after is very, very good. Um, and I've moved on because- I'm part of it. I want to make her proud and happy. I want to, you know, um, mm-hmm. give her the respect and our relationship, the respect it deserves and not wallow in misery. So I've, I've, I've been able to move on most recently in the last five, five to 10 years. Um, but yeah, she's okay. And I know that. And I believe that. And that, 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 and there's some comfort. I, in that. I wonder Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. This time of year is the worst. I feel like I can't do anything and I can't enjoy my dinner because I can't taste my food and I can't work out because I feel tired and distracted. I can't even feel like I can host this show because my voice sounds like a duck. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin Clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. I feel like I've been using Claritin D for probably a few months now, and I have really noticed a difference. I can work out. I'm not feeling like my eyes are watering and my nose is all stuffed up. I can speak without feeling like a frog has jumped into my throat. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin D at your local pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. Yeah, I wonder, I, I feel the same way. I, I feel like, um, you know, Betty White passed recently. Right, yep. And um, and and the, the her last words were Alan. Mm-hmm. So she lived her whole life, like talking about, or her later years, all she wanted to do was see her husband again. Mm-hmm like be a good person, do all the things that she did. And the, I guess it was her agent. I read the story was with her and her last words were Alan. 
and you read all these like stories about how people see people. And I just like, I live for those things because I feel like I never, just like you, I don't have any, like, I I believe in signs. So I definitely have signs Uh from my best friend that passed, but I don't ever have any kind of like dreams or like my dad at the foot of my bed. And I think that's because he's already like far, far away Uh and it, and I'm going to see him again, but he's just not like spiritually, like in a place where he checks in with me, but my best friend who passed as well, um, I dream about her all the time. I mm-hmm. see butterflies. That's uh-huh. why I have a butterfly on the cover of my podcast because I see them. And in my darkest times, I would like be walking and butterflies would be with me. So I'm like mm-hmm. a huge believer in signs. Right. Um. So I, I think that's interesting that you say that. How, once you went through the loss, so you were angry, did you mm-hmm. go through all the seven stages of grieving? Like, what was that like? You talk about the year mm-hmm. afterwards. Yeah, I, I, I did. I, I think most of most mostly I went through um, kind of a resignation. And I know that's not one of the steps. I mean, my, I, I shoved my anger down. Mm-hmm. I shoved it down, which then led to you know some depression and other things like that. But mostly it was just like, OK, well, this is my this is my life. You know, um, I'll move on as best I can and it'll it'll be OK. You know, and it took me a long time, even even remarrying. And to realize it can be more than just okay. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's like you loved her. You love the woman you're with now. There's nothing wrong with that. And how all that all works out on the other side in, in the afterlife, we'll, we'll deal with that when we get there. But it's like, and, and I, I always go back to, I think about Luca and, and that she would want me to be happy. If she loved me when we were married before she died, she would want me, I, if I, if the roles have been reversed, I'd want her to be happy. Go on and be happy with your life. You know, it's like, and I, I use the analogy that that, that's a book that, that, that ended. Excuse me. No worries. I read, yeah. I read the last chapter and closed the book. It doesn't mean I don't still remember it and still go back and revisit some of the, the, the best things, but it's like, I'm, I'm in a new book now. I'm in a new, a new, a new story. And it's like, that story touches on this story at times. Um, but it's like, it's a new story. So it's like, let's make new memories. Um, and my wife and I are, are building a life together. You know, we're creating our life together. When, when did you, when did you decide like to, not to skip ahead to write yeah. a book? Like, how did that come oh, about? Um, it was about, I want to say probably 10, not even about seven years ago. Um, I have a daughter now from my second wife. My first wife and I did not have any kids. So I have one daughter from my second wife and she's just turned 17. About when she was 10, she went to her mom, um, my current wife, and said, mom, was dad married once before? We had always planned on telling her, but she was 10. It's like, we'll tell her when she gets a little older. But she had overheard some things. She'd overheard some conversations and we were honest with her. It's like, yeah, your daddy was married before and his first wife died. So that led to opening up a huge can of worms, if you will, because, you know, a child's curiosity and innocence, she wasn't threatened at all by that. She was like, wow, that's so cool. I wish I could know her because she wanted to know all about her daddy's life before she was born. Um, but it kind of threw me into a tailspin, if you will. It's like, oh, God, all this stuff's coming up now. 
that I've tried to bury for years. Like I don't talk about it. I move on. So my wife, God bless her, said, you need to talk to somebody. Um, we knew a friend from church who was a counselor. And so I made an appointment and went in and said, I need to talk about this. And he basically said, he goes, okay, I think we're dealing with unresolved grief here. And so started seeing him for quite a few years. And over the course of that, that, that healing and therapy, he made more on a comment more than one occasion. He goes, you need to write a book. He goes, I've heard a lot of men. He goes, I see a lot of men who are in their seventies, eighties, who've never dealt with their grief, who've never dealt with the trauma they experienced. He goes, veterans who've never dealt with the trauma that they've witnessed and experienced. He goes, you need to write a book. He goes, other men need to hear that they're not alone. So he was the first one that really encouraged me. And then my wife came along. I told her that. She's like, yeah, why don't you write a book? I'm like, I can't put all this out there. I can't put all of, you know, all the stuff I've been hiding for 20, 20 plus years. I can't put all that out there. So it was a process. And it was writing the book was the, one of the hardest things I've ever done, but also one of the most therapeutic things I've ever done. And there's a lot that's not in the book. You know, I went back and scoured my journals from right after she died. Um trying to piece together, okay, what really happened there? Because a lot of my journals are just profanity glazed tirades, you know, after she died that summer. Um, yeah, just a lot yeah. of questions. So I had to piece together kind of the, the, the story, which was was difficult. <clears throat> Excuse me, it was very difficult. Um, I took some time off and actually went away to the mountains by myself camping, pulled the trailer up to the mountains and spent like three or four days just by myself around the campfire, writing, crying, writing, you know, trying to figure it all out. And that's kind of where it came about. And I finally, I, I'm actually looking at a little post-it note that right now that my daughter wrote to me. And she said, somebody out there needs your story with a little heart. And I've got that on my on my board here. And it's like, so she was an encouragement. Yeah. You just made me cry. <laughs> oh, sorry. So yeah. No, so, I cry. I see, I, it's yeah, embarrassing. It's, I cry. No, it's not embarrassing. So my daughter's 17. She's read the book. You know, it's like my wife, my current wife's read the book. You know, they were the both the first two that read, read the manuscript before it was published. You know, so I got nothing to hide anymore. <clears throat> it's like, it is what it is. I this love is it. Life. This is my life. Yeah. And it sucked, but it was beautiful. It was, be it, 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 there were moments that sucked. There was times that sucked, but it was also beautiful, you know, and I'm very happy where I'm at now and, and trying to, trying to help other men. And that's the whole thing. I go back to there's life after you, you suffer trauma, somebody dies, something happens. There is life after you can, and you have a choice. You can either wallow in what happened before and carry that with you, or you can make a new life after. And I'm still carrying the grief. I carry the grief right alongside the joy and the sorrow. Cause you made a comment earlier about there's things that, that, you know, bring it back up. And I, it's not a very rarely is there a day goes by that I don't think about Luca. Something reminds me of her, but in a good way, you know, how, how are you able to get remarried? And like, does your wife, sorry, if she, no. you don't want to talk about this, I understand, but is it hard for her because she feels like she's dealing with, the other woman. I know a lot of times I've read like stories about men or men getting remarried or mm -hmm. vice versa, women getting yeah. remarried and they feel like they're dealing with the third person. How, there, how has that been in your marriage? Good question. And yes, there's been some struggles there. Absolutely. Um, mm -hmm. my, my wife, um, is one of the, if, if, if she's not one of, she is like the strongest person I know because I don't know if I could deal with it. Um, she says she's not threatened or anything, and I believe her. Um, we've we've dealt with some things. I have also made an intentional attempt that this is my life with you now. So what happened back there kind of stays back there. It doesn't mean it doesn't come up sometimes. And if it does, it's like, let's talk about it. 
Um, but I've also learned, and I think she believes, I, I, I hope she believes this and acknowledges this also, that just because I loved Luca back then doesn't mean I can't love you now just as much, if not more. You know, I have more memories with, with Carrie because we've been married for over 20 years than I did Luca and I were only together for five years. So I've made, I've got a child with, with Carrie. And so there's more memories over the years. So it's an interesting juxtaposition that you bring that up because yeah, it, it is difficult at times, but it's weak. And the, the other thing I, I will say, I've been very blessed because my wife um, carries some of her own trauma from some of the experiences she had growing up. And when we got together, when we first met and got together and we were both very broken people, but we allowed each other to be broken. She was one of the few people that allowed me to be broken and didn't try to fix me. Oh, you know, Luca would want you to be happy. They want you to go on. She didn't tell me any of those things. She just allowed me to be broken. And I allowed her to be broken, which then in a weird kind of way, we came together as broken people and helped heal each other. And, and we're still healing. We're both still healing. We're carrying grief and trauma with us. But we understand well, you'll that. You'll heal forever. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You're going to be healing so, forever. So I've been it's very a, blessed it's like life is a process. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I and I believe too that you can have um more than one soulmate. How yep, lucky I are you too. that I you too. met two tremendously amazing women? Carrie sounds amazing. Over. She is amazing. Yeah. 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 Whereas a lot of people I know in my in my mom got remarried to a complete mm -hmm. D bag, excuse my language. Yeah. <laughs> um so I never really I never really worried. That my mom is is like gonna have you know the second husband and right. like when something like inevitably happens to my mom, mm -hmm. I believe she'll be with my dad. But yeah. if she would have married a great person the second time, I would have been. I mean, I probably as a, a selfish child, yeah. you know, would have been like, "Well, you better be with dad," you, you know, be. exactly. But I don't. I don't believe that it works that way. I mm -hmm. believe that people come in and out of our lives, good and bad. Like I talked yeah. to you in the beginning when we were joking around yes. about phony people, right? Like why do bad people come into our lives? I'm good. I don't need, I don't any need that douchey yeah. people. Yeah. Right. But there's a reason yeah. for it. And Absolutely. I talk about it all the time that everything happens for a reason. And mm -hmm. I know that's annoying well, to some people, especially if you're that. going through grieving, but it eventually it you'll understand that, this happened to mm -hmm. you in your twenties, which is you're still a baby. Like mm -hmm. you and I both know that's so young. Weird. I, yeah. Right. Oh, and then you're like, naive. yeah. And you're like, well, this isn't supposed to happen. I'm angry. I'm mad. I'm, right. I'm going to close myself off, but how amazing and lucky. And for my listeners that might be going through loss and grief, there's another chance and yeah. talk about it and, and don't think like there's nobody out there that can support you. Right. Exactly. Cause there, there, there are people that can support you. And like I said, is it easy? No. I mean, I spent mm -hmm. those first couple of years after she died, I was not getting remarried. I was not going to fall in love again. I was going to put her on a pedestal and she was my soulmate and I would live the rest of my life, you know, at her altar, if you will. And I finally realized that's not doing anybody. That's not, doesn't, she doesn't care. She doesn't want you to do that. And why are you doing that? Nobody else wants you to do your family. Doesn't want you to do that. Your friends don't want you to do that. So it's like, I can, you can, you can do, you can have life after and you can stay in that spot of 
I'm not moving on. And for some people, that's that's fine. You know, they don't want to get remarried. And that's perfectly fine as long as you're doing it for the right reasons. Um, but then there's also, you can have a life after. And why wouldn't they want you to have a life? If they truly loved you, why wouldn't they want you to have a life after? Why wouldn't they want you to to be happy again? You know, and so, and that's, it's not easy. It, it, they're, they're difficult choices in the moment. Because like I said, there were times where it's like, I'm not going to ever get remarried again. But then things... God has different plans and things happen, <laughs> you know, life happens. And, and, and if you let it happen and How, not shut yourself do you, off. Do you, how do you deal with, cause you, you talk to men about grieving. Mm-hmm. So if in your book, cowboys are not supposed to cry is all about that. And mm-hmm. your, your own personal loss and like how you picked yourself up and started over. Um, how, how do you like say somebody came to you and they or they were referred to you or they read your book? Mm-hmm. What is the first thing that you say to a man specifically that might be have in the same shoes as you were in? There's not there's not one like go to go to phrase or anything like yeah. that because um, every situation is different. And in fact, I saw a thing on social media the other day where it said, you know, even though grief is a universal human experience, we all suffer it each experience is uniquely individual to the person. Absolutely agree with that. Um, So I guess depending on what the man may be struggling with, I mean, there are times where it's like, all you can do is get through the next minute. Don't even worry about tomorrow. Get through this minute, you know, and then get through the next minute and then the next minute, and then you're up to an hour. And then eventually you'll get through this day. But sometimes you've got to focus on what's right in front of you. It's like, Lord, just give me the next 30 seconds to just sit here in the sunshine hearing the, the trees, the wind in the trees, the birds chirping. Okay, 30 seconds have passed. My heart rate started to slow. And then there's other times where, depending on where they're at, it's like the questions of what do you really want? You know, and those were questions I had to answer. It's like suddenly when, when, she, when she died, it's like I'm free. You know, she's dead now. I'm not I'm no longer married, you know, till death do us part. It's like I'm single. I'm young. We got no kids. I can go anywhere I want to. I can travel the world. I can, I could, I could just disappear. I have all this freedom that I don't want. So how do you, how do you deal, reconcile that? It's like, I have this freedom that I didn't ask for. And so there's those kind of questions about what do, so what do I really want with my life? Because what I wanted and what I was working towards, I can no longer have. So you've got to change. And those are not easy questions. And sometimes I go back to, you said, what do you say to a man? Sometimes you can't say anything. And I use um, um, Job 2.13 in the Bible, where his, and this is before Job starts having a conversation with his friends, his three friends come to him and they sit on the ground, they get down on the ground at his level and they sit with him for seven days and seven nights, not saying a word. That's what the Bible says. We try to fix everything. I can't imagine if somebody came alongside me and sat for seven days and didn't say anything just to be with me in the darkness that's not an amazing thing. I'm like, can I do that for people? I want to do that for people because we do as men, we try to fix things. Well, let me fix this. Well, let me get you dinner. Let me do the dishes for you. I'll get out and I'll make sure that the animals are taken care of all these things. Do you need another pillow? Do you need a glass of water? It's like, cause when she was sick, I was constantly trying to fix things and take care of her. It's like, and after she died, nothing could fix that. So it's like, I need somebody to just come and sit with me. And it's like, so I go to that too with men. It's like, Maybe I can do that because men sometimes are few words. Some of us, you know, 
I just wrote a book or 200 page book about all my feelings and stuff. But then to go back and actually talk about those specific things, it's a little difficult. It's a little easier to write them down and <laughs> put them out there than actually talk about them sometimes. Um, but I think that's kind of where I it's love at. what you said, though. I yeah. love what you said, because it's true. I, I, I also asked that out of my own curiosity. Uh-huh. Um, if somebody goes through some sort of loss, I find myself, I don't know what to say. Right. And even though I've been through it so many times in my own life, I'm one of those people that always wants to say something. It's shocking that I have a podcast. <laughs> um, but I always want to say the right thing. Of course. Right. I want to be like, you know, I've gone through this so mm-hmm. I can understand. Right. But it's, you can't, you understand, can't understand because what you said is every loss is different. different. Every human is different. Right you could have been like yourself where you were 25, 26 years old. Uh You hadn't gone through any kind of loss. No. So that amount of trauma was like, what the hell do I do? And then you don't want to remember. I think it's also interesting that you don't want to remember what grief is like Uh because it's such excruciating pain. Right. So I think that, I, like if somebody has a loss, I might like send an email or try to yeah. pick up the phone, but I still don't ever say the right thing. So I love Job 213 mm-hmm. sitting with someone. Yeah. I mean, when I read that, that it really jumped out at me. Then they go into the next 35 chapters are all about them trying to tell him what he did wrong and why all this befell yeah. <laughs> him. But it's like, yeah. first, they didn't do that. They just sat with him. In silence, because they knew his pain was very great, I think is what it says. They could see that his pain was very great. In fact, I'll tell you a quick story. I had the one really vivid memory I have after Luca died and returning to work. I had a gentleman, one of one of my coworkers, a male, he approached me in the back in in, in an off area and he just came up to me and I could see him coming. And I was like, uh oh, here we go. You know, because people didn't know what to say. And he just comes up to me and he goes, Mark, I'm sorry. And that's all he said. But I could see the genuineness in his eyes that he meant it. Yeah. And that's all that needed to be said. Cause it wasn't, it wasn't patronizing. It wasn't anything like that. I was like, wow, that's enough. Don't try to fix it. You can't fix this. You cannot put this, you know, this, 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 this puzzles out of the box. You can't, <laughs> you know, it's like Humpty Dumpty fell off the wall. You can't put him back together again. It's like, she's dead. She's not coming back. You know, the one thing you want more than anything in life can't be fixed at that yeah. time. So, And then you also wonder, like, it's always like people have the best intentions, right? Absolutely. It also kind of makes you mad. I remember when I went through my losses, people would come up to me and say, um, my grandma died. Yeah. (laughs) Like last summer. And I'm like, but my dad, like he was my dad. It's a little different, you know, like, yeah. So I think people are also like, well, what do I say? I don't want to say the right, wrong thing. Mm-hmm. So we tend to kind of like run or, but it's true. If somebody said, I'm sorry. And it has stuck with you for all these years yeah. and think about how many people said things to you. Yeah. Well, another and story. you don't remember. I, I remember this one. This is the, yeah. the other extreme and going back yeah. to faith and spirituality. I had, and I struggled with this and had to reconcile this. Somebody came to me and, and gave me a poem that they had, I can't remember if they typed it out or read it out, but it was about God only takes the best. 
she's in a better place and God only takes the best. And I remember reading that going, this is not helpful. If God only takes the best, what does that mean? I'm apparently I'm not very good because I'm still here, you know, and I went through all that machinations in my head going. So he took her because she was the best. He left me here, which means I'm not the best, which means he doesn't like me because he left me here to suffer. But he took her because she was so good. I was like, I don't want to believe in a God who does that. And I don't believe in a God who does that. No. God's not that kind of God. He's a gracious, loving God. You know, um, Jesus came and died for our sins. It's like, so I really struggled with that. And I was just like, okay, this is, and I remember taking, taking the thing back to our earlier conversation, smiling and nodding, going, oh, thank you very much. And then walking away, wadding it up and throwing it away. It's like, I'm not keeping this poem. Yeah. You know, and I know our yeah, intentions, it, the intentions were good. But the intentions are good, but you're like, but that's why I also am like, well, what do I say? You know, like, I don't know what to say. Even after all the grief and loss I've gone through, Mm -hmm. we're all human beings. We're just trying to get by. I I love so many of the things that you've said, though, about, you know, another, another, like, this is a life you were young, you, Mm -hmm. you picked yourself up without wanting to, and you didn't have any other choice. That's the other thing. Right. When you go through loss, it's not like people are like, oh, you were so brave. Like, I'm so sorry this happened. It's like, but I didn't choose this. This is not fair. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's it's not fair. It's not like, oh, I chose to move across country, which was a huge change. And I had to adapt and readapt because I moved across country for a job. It's like, no, you chose to move across country. You knew what you were getting to. I didn't choose this. You know, and anytime somebody suffers trauma or death of, of a loved one, they didn't choose that. It was thrust upon them. So what do you do? You know? What do you, like, where, where are some of the places? Cause I, I want, I don't, I would, could talk to you for so much longer. I love also that what you're doing. Thank you. Because I've been doing this now over, a, I think a year mm-hmm. and like almost a year and a half. And I do have a lot of like therapists and mental health professionals come Mm -hmm. on that are male come on or authors, but not specific. I've had so few that have, I think you're one of my first men that has actually talked about grief and what it was like to deal with their own loss. Isn't that insane? And I've been doing this. I I have over 55 podcasts Mm -hmm. and it's so hard to find men that will open up, you know, they might want to, but then they're like, well, what is everyone going to think of me? I'm not supposed to do that. Men don't do that. They push it down. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. And that's, that's one of my struggles is putting myself out there, but that's the, the book was, I wrote the book in some ways for myself, if you will, this is my story, my journey. And I wanted to chronicle, chronicle it, if you will. But then like, what's next? It can't be just about the book and then you move on. It's like, no, there's, there are men that are out there hurting. And as I've done my own, you know, searching and stuff going, where's the male voice in all this? You know, when somebody dies, um, when, when, when you watch a movie and a child dies and the mom goes, they, they show the mom in the throes of grief and the dad just kind of fades into the background. It's like, why are they not dealing with the man? He just lost a child too, but you don't, and I'm not saying every movie and every TV show, but sometimes like you're, you're mentioning the, the show earlier, Life After. It's like sometimes they do focus a little more on the male perspective, but a lot of it's the female perspective because women are more expressive. They, they want to talk about it, whatever. 
but there's 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 a, a niche out there for men to go. You're not alone, and it's not that you don't have to talk about it. I'm not saying we have to talk about it. I'll come sit on the ground with you, but you're not alone. That there are other people out there. Like I said, I carry my grief with me every day. It's like I got it right with me. It's like I will always remember her. I think about her, but that doesn't mean my life today can't be good and is is good. Um, you can have both. You know, your heart's big enough to have both, but you have to allow it to be big enough to have both. Because it's really well. Easy I to always close say off. that. I always say that a piece of my heart is broken for the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, but you and I wouldn't be doing what we're doing today. Exactly. And I'm, 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 I shouldn't say I'm grateful, <laughs> but I, uh, the lessons and the loss and all the things that mm-hmm. you and I have gone through yep. get us to a place where I'm lucky because I can, I can, I, I have empathy. Yeah, which is exactly a real gift, right? That God's Very given much us. So. Very much so. Um, where where can my listeners find you, and where can they where can they get this book? If they okay. might, if 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 it's like one of my listeners that's gone through loss or has a husband, or you know their husband doesn't listen to the podcast, where can they purchase mm-hmm. the book? Um, the book can be purchased on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, iTunes. I think it's also on Reader House. Um, we're working at getting it into some other um, other locales also, but those are the online places you can get it. Um, it's right now. It's not currently in any brick and mortar stores that I'm aware of. Um, looking at possibly doing an audio version of the book, um, but kind of going back do and it. forth. Yeah, whether I want to actually it. speak it, which I think it would be best if it was in my voice. Um, but so so that that hopefully will be coming. Um, I have a website www.markshutter.com. Um, uh, that I, I post on there. You can contact me via the website. I'm on all the social media channels, Instagram, Facebook page, Twitter. Um, and most of them are just under Mark Wayne. Cause I, I tend to go under Mark Wayne on, on my social media. Um, but the books, is under that Mark- your stage name? No, that's is your stage that's- name. Kind of, it kind of is, <laughs> if you will, it kind of is, it's kind of my pen name. Yeah. I, I published some, yeah, poems, yeah, yeah. some poetry and anthologies under Mark Wayne. Um, but I published this I book under my that. full name, Mark, W Shutter because my middle name's Wayne. Um, I got okay. no. This book needs to be from me because this is my story. I'm not going to hide behind some. Even though Mark Wayne is my name, also it's like I'm going to put my full name out there. So, but it was. I just yeah. love the name Mark Wayne. It sounds like a movie star. It's okay. a good name. I used to tell people. I John like Wayne Mark Shutter too. Thank you. So yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I am so grateful to have met you. Um, Thank you, Megan. I, I love what you're doing. I think it's so important. You touched on, lastly, really quickly, how Vietnam veterans like don't, you know, we have such a problem in this country with men shutting down, mm-hmm. uh, abusing alcohol, drugs, like exactly. half the homeless people on the streets are Vietnam vets. You know, they're all dealing with substance abuse issues. If more men talked about and did what you are doing and using their voice and, mm-hmm. and accepting Thank that it's you. okay to talk about grieving. I think our world would be such a more amazing place. Right. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and I will, I will just tell you. And I, and I love your mission. Go ahead. Thank you. I'm just going to say, I don't have it all figured out. I am, I'm struggling every day, just like everybody else, but I think we can help each other. You know, that's, that's my goal is can I help you? which in the term can help me. You know, I think it's like, I don't have it all figured out. I went through my own addiction phase and that sort of thing. And 
you know, like I said, there's a lot of stuff that's not in the book, you know, that, that I can share offline with in conversations and stuff. Um, but yeah, it's like, maybe we can, maybe we can help each other out. And that, that's my goal. It's like, so we're well, not, not I'm going to tell you something. If we all had it figured out, we would, we wouldn't, we would not be here anymore. I think right. life is a series of lessons and things you're supposed to go through. Life is short. Yep. And if we had it figured out and every day was easy and you knew everything and all the lessons and like loss that we go through in life, we wouldn't be here anymore. Exactly. So the world needs you, Mark. Thank you. Wayne Thank you, Megan. Shutter. Mark Wayne, aka Mark Shutter. <laughs> exactly. Um, you nailed it. And in closing, go ahead. Sorry, I, I don't want to talk you, over you. you. You nailed it. That's exactly where I'm at. It's a little bit of a different persona, if you will. Yeah. And I love that. And I'm so great, grateful to have met you. Um, in closing, I like to talk, I like to say what my dad used to say. My dad was this amazing human being. And he would say, be happy by making others happy. Exactly. And Mark, you're doing that. So keep um, doing the work. Trying. Thank we you. need you. We need you in this world. We need more men like you. We need more people to talk about these things. And like I said, I think our world would be so much better if everybody just talked about it and communicated. So thank you, Megan. Thank you again for coming on this show. And thank you for everything you're doing. The world, the universe needs you and all the lessons that you've gone through. So thank Thank you you again. Thank you for the opportunity. Very much appreciated. Well, thanks everyone. Don't forget my episodes come out every Tuesday Apple, Spotify, or wherever you stream, you better leave me reviews. They better be good or I'm going to come after you. I'm just kidding. Um, And I am just so grateful to be able to do this every week and bring you people like Mark to share your stories. Keep going. Be happy by making others happy. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.